Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter, both for the podcast itself at LockdownWBB and, of course, at High Post Hoops for all your women's basketball coverage, 24-7, 365. We have a ton available for you, whether it's a preview from each of the 12 WNBA teams to real-time coverage. It's happening as we speak. It's cut down Thursday as we're recording this ahead of tomorrow's uh, weekend slate of games. And, of course, part of that slate uh, is brought to us by the ESPN family of networks and a reason why you see so much women's sports on TV in general is the work of Carol Stiff, who's with us right now. Uh, Carol, thank you for taking the time to chat in the midst of what is a crazy week for you guys. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I mean... I want to start with what brought you here when you think about sort of the long arc uh, of a career that, that spanned uh, so many things already. And it started in New Jersey. And that seems to be a very common theme when it comes to trailblazers uh, in women's sports and women's basketball in particular, whether it's uh, the new WNBA commissioner, whether it's Cheryl Reeve, the four-time WNBA champion, whether it's the great Ann Donovan. I guess I wonder what you think it is about the state of New Jersey. I'm biased as a Jersey product myself, but what it is you think about uh, New Jersey that produces you know, so many heroes uh, in the field of women's sports? Well, I have to ask you, where, where are you from in New Jersey? I grew up in Cherry Hill. I live in Rivervale now. Okay, great. Well, you know it's the Garden State. So it makes undeniable. sense that we grew a lot of great basketball talent uh, in the state of New Jersey. Uh, but seriously, I started my career actually playing CYO basketball, which was Christian Youth Organization, and we played down in Somerville. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with the game, and my uncle at the time was Don Donner. He's still Don Donner. and He coached at the University of Dayton Flyers and was well-received, well-respected as the men's coach. So part of it, I think, was in my DNA through my mother's genes. Uh, And then one day, youngest of six, my mother, I don't know how she afforded it, but she got two tickets to Madison Square Garden to see a doubleheader of women's basketball. Hmm. And there was one name that you left off uh, with your list of, of legends from New Jersey, and their name was Carol Blaszczowski mm-hmm. from Boston State. And I was in the garden when she was playing Queens State, which uh, Donna Orner was trying to guard her, I believe, uh, <laughs> you know, the WNBA commish yes. or president, I should say. And she hit, Carol Blaszczowski hit 52 points in the garden and held that record forever and ever and ever. I'll never forget that. And I think that's when the light bulb went on. I just fell in love with the sport and then, of course, played through high school, college, um, coached the game, and uh, had an opportunity to pivot from coaching and come to ESPN and was given the reins to program all our women's basketball, along with a lot of other women's sports. And in, in Donna's defense, you know, no one uh, was truly able to, to guard the blaze. So that's just one of, one of many people uh, who, who tried but were unable to contain her. Uh, but but that, that's an amazing uh, experience, one I, one I wished I could have had. Uh, but I'm curious uh, specifically to that, when you talked about your background being in coaching, how hard a jump was that to make 
for you? And do you ever think back about it? Do you ever think about sort of the path not taken? Obviously, it's been a remarkable one uh, for the choice that you made. But uh, also, of course, you know, like you said, that was something that uh, you were excelling at and right away. It's a great question, and I think there were pros and cons in making the move, but mostly pros. I use a lot of the skills that I use in coaching. I still use it today here at ESPN, you know, gathering teams around me uh, to make our programming the very, very best in women's sports. So I lean on a lot of folks uh, to give me input, their opinion. Uh, you know, we debate, and then we decide, and we align. Mm-hmm. So. That, that came from the coaching era. Um, and then secondly, it allowed me to put together matchups that we see on television. My job is to put the matchups together and then hand that schedule over to production. I'm not in the production area, but the opportunity to hop on the phone and talk to a, a Pat Summit about playing in the University of Connecticut yeah. or talking to the WNBA uh, presidents about who they see and who they think are going to be great teams and actually to be able to talk to the players like Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi and Elena Deladon and seeing Asia Wilson thrive from South Carolina. I got the best job in America. And it's funny, you talked about UConn, Tennessee, and that was the next area I wanted to to get into, which I, I don't think enough people know how central your role was in creating what you know you would argue is uh, a rivalry for a generation, and so can can you take me through just how that plan came about and the way in which you made it happen? Sure, it's a great story. I uh, proud to tell it. I was given the job, as I stated, to put matchups together for our network, and at the time we had ESPN uh, only. And I had an opportunity uh, on, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday afternoon, which was Martin Luther King Day, a, a great holiday for our nation. And we decided that that would be a great window for a women's basketball game. So the contract called for an ACC versus a Big East opponent. And so I went to North Carolina and talked to them because they had just won the national championship. It was the, in the spring of 1990. Yep, with the, the .7 second shot from Charlotte Smith. Mm-hmm. And I asked them if they would play. I think this team out of New England is going to be pretty good, UConn. They got this this kind of tall, lengthy gal called Rebecca Lobo, and they got a sparkling, sparking guard with, you know, Jen Rosati. And they got this kid called Jamel Elliott that she will out-rebound anybody, and she'll, she'll get her space when she needs it. So anyhow, I talked to North Carolina, and they said, well, we'll play the game as long as it's on our campus. Hmm. So I physically went into the file and looked, and we had played the game the year prior, I think at at Virginia. And I said, sorry, but the game has to be on Big East campus soil. So we're going with UConn. Do you want to play in this window? We'll have Robin Roberts call the game and Mimi Griffin and they decided not to not to accept the, the challenge. Hmm. So I, I said, okay. So the next phone call was the Pat Summit. And I said to Pat, same script, exact same script, and said, it will be a great game, a great window. 
I think both teams will be pretty highly ranked at the time. Yes, yes, it's in January. And all she said to me, Howard, was, well, you know it's in the SEC, in the middle SEC conference play. And I go, yes, it's January 15th. And she goes, well, you know, we're, we're playing like Auburn, you know, the two days prior at Auburn. I go, I, I hear you. But this is going to be on ESPN, you know, with, with this great sound call game. And her last quote to me, and then I laid down, I laid low, I didn't say another word. And she said to me, for the good of the game, I'll take the game. <laughs> so the game, game goes to air. Uh, the, reminder, we put this game together in May, the spring before the game aired. And the game goes to air. It's uh, number, number two, UConn versus number one, Tennessee at Gamble Pavilion. One o'clock in the afternoon on Martin Luther King Day. So the game goes to air. We held the poll that day. The New York Times was in the building, which I think was the first time that I remembered them covering women's basketball. Up at Stores, Connecticut, Pat flew the team the night before, the day before in. She cleaned their uniforms um, at her home uh, the night before flying. And flip-flop. UConn becomes one, goes undefeated, wins the national championship. So after the game was over, I went back, and you could just feel the electricity in the in the dome in the in the uh, Gamble Pavilion. And Gina was elated and answering questions from the media. And I walked down the long corridor, and there was Pat with her stats page in front of her outside her locker room. And she looks up over the piece of paper, and she says to me, "For the good of the game," and she just shook her head. <laughs> and it certainly was for the good of the game. I, I, I do wonder what happened to that UConn uh, program. You never hear much about them anymore, or Tennessee for that matter, but <laughs> what, what well, a remark. No, I, we, we, do, we do have them playing one another It's again. true. I'm saying that now you got them back. That, that having that rivalry back, obviously the shape of it is different. and. Uh, the, the number of programs challenging for supremacy is different. But do, do you see that as an opportunity, uh, really, for Tennessee to reestablish itself uh, in a way that UConn used that time to establish itself, you know, back, you know, back in the mid-1990s? I think it's going to be a good opportunity for the new coach and the program um, to excel. And I think it's a two-year, I know it's a two-year deal. Mm -hmm. um, really important aspect of this game is that Donations will be made to the Pet Summit Alzheimer's Clinic and also to the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. And I think a lot of people will want to see this game uh, on the court again and have an opportunity to relive some great memories. But I think the reset for Tennessee, this will be very helpful for them. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And so around that time as well, of course, uh, your influence on the pro game, game is immense. And so I want to talk about the 96 tour, but I, I, I want to sort of get some context uh, from it. You know, the, the 96 tour and that 96 USA basketball tour, in many ways, and many people believe, lead, leads directly to uh, the opportunity for the WNBA, for sort of a proof positive that there was an audience for this game. And I wonder, as you were going in, whether you believed and, and knew the audience was there, or if the level of response that we saw from that time, we saw in response to that team, surprised even you? Oh, great question again, Howard. I, I remember that year 
very, very well. ESPN had four games of the national team playing a lot of college campuses and, and some foreign teams. And then ESPN2 was on the scene, mm-hmm. and they had four games. So we had eight games uh, leading up to those Olympics in Atlanta. And under the great leadership of Tara Vanderveer and the wonderful talent on that team, there was no stopping that group from getting the gold. Uh, I'm sure you could get the stories from the players on the team. It was intense. And Tara was not going to settle for anything less than gold. And a lot of pressure was on her. And, I, you know, with Val Ackerman with, uh, at the NBA at the time, uh, USA Basketball uh, at the time was working with, with the three of us. We're working hard together to make sure that they, they won the gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but watching that game, that gold medal game, even when people came off the bench to relieve others, they had all, all the cylinders were clicked that day. I remember teary-eyed watching it going, oh, my goodness, look at this team. We've arrived. And uh, I was not stunned that, that we launched a women's pro league at all. I think the timing couldn't have been any better. Yeah. You might remember in 1996, softball won the gold, soccer won the gold, women's basketball was the final sporting event of those Olympics in Atlanta. I think David Stern had a, a, a deal made with NBC that that was going to be the final event of those games, and it was, and, the, and to watch them win the gold. But that 96 Olympic run for not only just women's basketball, for all women's sports, was very, very important to the history of, of women's sports in our nation. Oh, it's huge. I, I, I mean, the, the extent to which you can draw a direct line to the amount of support we saw for the 99ers on the soccer side is, is of course, in much the same way. So, I, I mean, it, it, it's just this, this seminal series of moments, although I do wonder, and, and I don't know if you, if you have an answer to this, I, I certainly don't, but we've seen on the soccer side, and um, wonderfully so, you know, the parades that followed in 2015, winning the World Cup. I was privileged enough to cover the New York parade, as a matter of fact. And we haven't seen that for the women's basketball team, even though the dominance, if anything, was, it has been even greater. And there's been uh, gold medals every four years, and we're seeing it consistently. Do you think that at some level the USA women's basketball team has been underappreciated, you know, with this, this run of excellence that we're talking about that now exceeds two decades? I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right um, with asking that question. I believe we need to give them more exposure for what they have earned and what they do earn and the selfishness of those players to, to give the time that they do to serve the USA basketball. Uh, you know, we, we had a huge stakeholders meeting uh, April 10th in New York City, the morning of the WNBA draft, I might add, mm-hmm. and we brought together people from all walks that touch women's basketball. It was USA Basketball and Carol Callum. We had uh, a woman from Sweden who flew in. We had people from the WNBA uh, offices, players' office. We had uh, Michael Alters from Chicago team in the city, and we had a lot of college coaches, pro coaches, and we all just sat around the table for about three hours and talked about synergying and what we can all do together to uh, make this, this sport even bigger and better. And one of the items that were, was a takeaway was how can we give more exposure to uh, our USA team? And that's on us to figure it out. But I agree. I think there, 
maybe there, people are getting used to watching them win the gold. That's not a horrible thing. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> they've done. So I, I, I think it's on us to uh, figure out how we can give them more attention. I'm with you. I, I, I certainly, that is a, a key part of my professional mission every day. So let's talk about the synergy that you bring together because you really are at the center of not just the basketball side, but uh, truly so much that's going on in the world of women's sports. So I'm going to read this out in part because I want to make sure that we plug it, but also because it's sort of remarkable to consider, okay? On Thursday, you have the NCAA softball regionals on the ESPN Family Networks. You have the NCAA Women's Lacrosse Championship. Uh, the U.S. Women's National Team soccer match that I'll be covering on Sunday, also on ESPN. And in the middle of it, the 2019 WNBA season uh, tips off Friday night uh, you know, in New York uh, as well. But on Saturday, on ABC, a big deal in and of itself, you know, over-the-air network, we're going to have uh, a game between the Mercury and the Storm. Uh, that That's not even including everything you can get on ESPN3, ESPN+, Plus. just a remarkable resource. I, You know, I, as a media member alone, a remarkable resource I'm able to use for things like the Ivy League being on ESPN+. Plus. So I was able to do uh, a ton of research for Bella Allery piece I was writing. So all of that being available, being, you know, at the push of a button, how significant is that in driving the current moment where we're seeing, uh, to my mind, more coverage of women's sports uh, than we have in a generation at least, if not longer? Well, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're bringing this up. I've, we were going to run 29 events this, this coming weekend, 58 hours of women's sports programming which you mentioned, a lot of it will be across all of our networks at the same time. For me, it's a weekend where I might not get out of my pajamas. <laughs> um, I might just stick around and watch, but uh, this is all part of our growth and our expansion. You know, you mentioned ESPN Plus, and that's just going to uh, allow us to expand our audience and, and bring women's sports from the Ivy League and, and other leagues. We just did a, a deal with professional lacrosse. Mm -hmm. uh, we have softball over there professionally. So I'm stating that this is all part of our major plan here. We're expanding our audience by expanding our growth of women's sports. We also have fantastic uh, methods of storytelling. And that's what we really need to wrap our arms around with are these great stories of these yeah. women uh, and, and what they're doing and, and how they're putting their, their, their pride of their school and their soul into their sports. And so um, I think it's just part of, you know, I, was, I pulled a, uh, an insight for you. Just this past year, ESPN produced over 13,000 hours of women's sports, 13,000 hours of women's sports. So adding ESPN Plus, and, which is our direct-to-consumer um, activation, it's a, a, just a great opportunity to showcase more and more of these of the women's sports and their stories. Um, I just am thrilled to death with Jimmy Pitaro and his leadership here and, and Burke Magnus and allowing us to be fully committed to women's sports. It's, it's great to see, and I, I, I am a very happy ESPN Plus subscriber, I, I might add as well. Uh, but I am curious because there is... There's a conversation, and I guess it's healthy, I, I think it makes sense, where there's always, you know, rather than uh, a focus on all that ESPN is doing, sometimes there's a focus on what ESPN could be doing more. 
And a lot of that conversation, especially the last couple of years, seems to revolve around which ESPN outlet you find which game. And I just wonder for you, when you think about it, how important that is uh, in your mind, you know, your, your mission to expand the audience for women's sports. Well, you know, we know obviously ESPN is found in more homes than say ESPN News and that it's over the air TV as opposed to um, ESPN Plus being uh, streaming only. I, I just wonder how you sort of prioritize that in your mind and how important you think that is. Well, I, was, I wanted to um, let you know too this year, a direct effect of the great ratings we received last year um, toward the end of the WNBA and of course the playoffs, uh, we added more games on ABC this year mm-hmm. for the WNBA. We moved a few games from ESPN2 to ESPN, and that's getting to your question about more eyeballs being able to watch and see the WNBA. And um, the, the addition of uh, CBS Sportsnet as an ancillary uh, platform will give uh, our our fans of WNBA an opportunity to see 40, 40 games. Uh, so that's, that's been um, thrilling to have. And I think with the ESPN Plus, as I stated earlier, that, that brings more and more and more um, sports to our networks. And bringing them in-house here and into our factory here allows us to uh, maybe pivot a story from Plus over to ESPN or Sports Center or uh, to to one of our talk shows, and we just—it's a wonderful group of of networks and uh, resources that we can use to tell our story about the games. Yeah, and and, and, and you and, and you have done that, and 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 even seen that during the WNBA playoffs last year, where there was that open window, and you were able to move the second half of a game. It was something we talked about. Uh, and reported over at High Post Hoops because it's those those marginal wins is are something that it seems like you are always on the lookout for. Would you say that's an accurate statement? Sure is. Well, you know, with the end of the season last year, we ran into some situations when certain teams uh, clinched the uh, playoffs spot. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the times, the window that we had available for ESPN or ESPN two. Uh, was perfect for us, yeah. but their facility was was used for a concert, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so we always have to be uh, nimble and, and flexible and finding the opportunities to make sure that our fans see the game. So that you you mentioned one area where once we knew we could get the second half over on you know ESPN, we did so, or we lit up the local uh, market in that town or that city to make sure that at least locally the the fans got it. So we work. Um, very closely with the league to make sure that what what we're here for, and we're here to service the fans. Yeah, and 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 that comes across over and over again. I do want to talk about you personally this weekend because you talked about not getting out of your pajamas. Uh, that it's a great plan. It's one I'd like to take advantage of every day, but Sunday when I'm going to go. Uh, cover the game uh, that's being played at Red Bull Arena. But what that's what I wanted to know for you. What's your consuming diet going to be like this weekend uh, for, uh, you know, for the 58 hours? Like, what, what are you most excited about? You know, what's sort of number one on your calendar? Wow, you're putting me in a tough place here. <laughs> it's like make, someone asking me to choose between my children, I guess. Well, I'd love to see the ring ceremony out in Seattle with, mm-hmm. with our ABC window. Uh, I'm just going to have my iPads, my two TV sets on, 
um, all ready to go and, and just stay stay close to home. I love the crowning and the advancement of our softball. Lord knows we just did 103 games last weekend mm -hmm. of regional NCAA softball, and we have all, every super regional on this weekend, uh, which is fantastic to see. And then, of course, crowning the national championship of the women's lacrosse, nothing like it. So I'm, I'm, all, I'm all ears and all smiles, uh, Belin can tell you, um, as I sit back here in my office. I want to share a story, if I could, about you and before I have one more question uh, before I let you go. Uh, I was covering the All-Star Game last year, last summer, and I actually brought uh, my older daughter uh, to do it as well. Okay. And uh, we, were, we were in the media room, we were awaiting Lisa Borders, and uh, apropos of nothing, you had that opening, that amazing All-Star Game opening uh, narrated by Billie Jean King on your phone. And, and you shared it with my daughter uh, just for no other reason than you thought she would enjoy it. And it was just a chance for you, like, on the smallest possible way, just reaching one person to be able to share a story and to find a way to share that magic with her. And I just feel like that encapsulates every, every story you hear about the work you do and the, the work in which uh, you have just changed the scope of women's sports in this country over uh, the past few decades. So I, I just thought it's important for our audience to know about that. But I, I'd like to know from, from your perspective, is there a single animating moment that you've seen, whether it be recently, whether it be the last couple of years, that stands out to you as, you know, well, things really are changing in this country. Things are really changing in the landscape of women's sports. Wow, another tough question. And Howard, thank you for your very kind kind remarks. I was I was moved to see you there with your daughter, by the way. And you were uh, introducing her to many folks and teaching her your trade. So we need more dads and daughters like you um, to be, you know, mem memorable role models. My for pleasure our youth. to do thank it. You. Thank you. But I'm, I'm sorry. I, I we we were in the business of putting you on the spot. <laughs> Uh, memorable moments. I've, I've been asked this before, and I, I have to give you two, if I may. Please. Uh, one would be, one would be 1996 Olympic gold medal game, which we mentioned. I was moved to tears, uh, knowing that that was a very special time in our women's sports history. Um, and then number two, actually, has to do with a commitment ESPN made to the Special Olympics. Mm -hmm. And I was in L.A. to watch the opening uh, ceremony of the Special Olympics in L.A. and to watch all those special athletes walk into that coliseum uh, was electrifying and that also made me uh, tear up. So those would be my two favorite memorable moments uh, here at ESPN. Wow. A a amazing that you're able to choose to be frank, given all that you've done. But listen, Carol Stiff, everyone who is listening to this needs to raise their glass to you and what you've done uh, through the years, and especially this weekend, while all of these things are coming to fruition. So thank you for taking the time to chat, uh, but really thank you for all that you've done to advance the cause uh, that means so much to so many of us through the years. Thank you, Howard.
Thank you. It takes a team. Thank you very much. And, and, and a reminder to our audience to go ahead and follow us at High Post Hoops for 24-7 women's basketball coverage at Locked on WBB. If you like the podcast, go ahead and uh, download, subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Howard Meddahl wishing you a wonderful day.